Greetings and welcome to the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. If you're new to the show, this is a long-form podcast where I sit down with guests and we just have a conversation. Now, these conversations are not scripted. They are raw and real. There's no editing. So wherever they go, they go. So hopefully you guys will enjoy the conversations as much as I know that I will. This episode is brought to us by Mike the Strongman. Are you tired of getting your training and nutrition advice from someone with only a weekend certification? Then perhaps it's time to turn to someone with over 15 years of research-based experience. Mike the Strongman can help you with all your training and nutrition needs. Mike has a proven track record of getting results with his clients. Visit MikeTheStrongMan.com for more information or email Mike at MikeTheStrongMan at gmail.com if you're ready to take your performance to the next level. This episode is also brought to us by the Healthiest You Chiropractic Center. The Healthiest You Chiropractic Center in Strongsville, Ohio is dedicated to giving their patient community the highest level of healthcare. Their doctors have been trained on the newest and most innovative styles of chiropractic and rehabilitative treatments. From back pain to ankle strains, the Healthiest You has remedies for a variety of injuries. Are you looking to perform better in life and activity? Their team takes a wellness-based approach on health rather than only focusing on symptoms such as pain. Call 440-238-3338 or email them at thychiro, that's T-H-Y-C-H-I-R-O, at gmail.com for questions about becoming a patient. Now is a better time than ever to become the healthiest you. And last but not least, this episode is brought to us by CrossFit Strongsville. CrossFit Strongsville is a place where everyday people become heroes every day. Through qualified coaching, challenging yet modifiable exercise programming, and a supportive community unlike any other, members find a way to break through personal barriers physically, mentally, and emotionally. No matter what level you're at, from the very beginner to the elite, you'll find you receive great service from the moment you walk through the door, and we promise it will be one of the best hours of your day. Check out CrossFitStrongsville.com for more information and to sign up for a free one-on-one consultation with the owner, a 12-year veteran of the fitness and therapy fields. Okay, folks, my guest today is Dame Lee of Elite Recovery Sports Massage. The last time Dame was on the show, we were supposed to talk about Recovery 101. I was enjoying our conversation so much that we never really covered the topic, so that's why we're here again today. We just got right into the recovery topic and Dane had some really good advice to share. I hope that you guys get some good tips from our conversation. So sit back, strap in, and enjoy our conversation. Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hess, and today we have back with us Dane Lee of Elite Recovery. Dane, how are we doing? Doing great. How are you? Doing good. Uh, Last time we had Dane on, we were going to talk about Recovery 101, and I got a little bit too excited (laughs) learning about Dane's background, and we kind of just got ranting and raving and bullshitting. So we decided to sit down and do another quick one that would cover all of this detail without tacking on to the end of that one. That way, you guys would have kind of more of a concise detail of the recovery stuff. So without any further ado, like if, if you guys haven't listened to the first one, please go back and listen to that first one and get to know Dane. So that way this will make a little bit more sense when we start talking about all these different topics. You'll kind of see his background and uh, how he came to a lot of these conclusions and what, what he's learned along the way. So let's just jump right into it. And um, when I think about recovery 
you know, from playing sports or being in the gym, I think of a couple of things that we've learned growing up. It's like, okay, you, if you're inflamed, you're going to take an ice bath or maybe ice if there's a problem or take some rest mm-hmm. or maybe even take some uh, ibuprofen. Just kind of try to get rid of the swelling and just, you know, just chill out for a little bit. But I know a lot of athletes don't like to do that, they like to kind of just push through the pain. Oh, yeah. You know, what, what are, some, are all those good things to do or are they all just in context for themselves? I think each of those has its its own place okay, and its own use and own benefit. Um, I think that a lot of times the information that goes along with those that make them useful, it, not I shouldn't say disregarded, but uh, it, it doesn't get taken into context. Okay. So there is a time and place for an ice bath. And what happens is that it gets kind of ignored on what that time and place is and okay. like, well it's beneficial there it's probably beneficial all these other places yeah, too just do it if you're yeah. hurting right yeah like it's going to help me out if i do it every day right like well 10 minutes is good what about 20 what about 30 um well let's pump the brakes a little bit and let's look at what is the actual circumstance in something like that useful and applicable and uh that question and that mindset is going to save people a lot of time when it comes to anything like ibuprofen to rest to ice baths, to foam rolling, to, you know, stretching, types of stretching, how long do I stretch, what do I do for a warm-up, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And there are a lot of misconceptions that go along with it because I think that we hear a good aspect, or we hear a good thing, and then we assume that it's useful in every scenario. Okay. And then you pile eight different things on top of each other because, well, you know, foam rolling is good and stretching is good and mobility is good and yada, yada, yada. What if I did all of them at one time? And what if I have all these different things that are beneficial? I do them all the time together every time. And it's like, well, some of them work really well together and some of them don't work well together at all. Okay. Like you need to do a little bit of homework and figure out some of them are synergistic. And that means that you don't have to do nearly as much of one or the other. And in combination, you have an even compounded effect. And that's fantastic. But if you don't know what the compounded effect is and then you do something on top of it, you can actually be doing more harm than good because you're getting too much of a good thing. And that homework that can be found out just by asking a simple question like, what's the best scenario, or I shouldn't say best scenario, but like what's the circumstance in which this is best applied doesn't really get asked very often. I mean, I think that's a tough question that most people it is. don't know how to ask. Right. They, don't, they don't know when or why to ask. Right. So I think that those are good things to try to cover here mm-hmm. and, and try to get like a big overview of kind of how people can best go about recovery itself. So one of the easy ones, like foam rolling. Um, a lot of people will foam roll to start off. But when I work with people and I say, you know, go ahead and foam roll. And if anyone ever asks why, then the answer I give them is using it as a way of analyzing how you're doing. Okay. So yes, there are benefits to foam rolling and you know, that can be argued until, you know, the cows come home about what it actually does and what it doesn't do and how much you should do it. I like to say you should do like 10 passes on an area that you're going to be using and not because those 10 passes are necessarily going to like increase blood flow and make it pliable, et cetera. But if you roll your quads on a leg day and they are sore as shit, when you're rolling, that tells you something about the quality of the tissue in your body's recovery that day. Okay, so you're going to use it as a check yes. to see, I, I'm going to use these muscles yeah. today. Let's roll them and see how they're feeling. Exactly. Oh, they hurt a lot more than normal. Maybe I should do something different. Exactly. So you could still have your leg day. You could still go and you know do squats or whatever it is you're doing. 
but maybe you now approach that slightly differently. You're looking at the programming that your coach may have given you or that you have for that day, and you go, all right, I'm normally going to take five to ten minutes to warm up. What if I extend that just a little bit to allow myself to start at a slightly lower place and ease into the warm-up a bit more okay. or ease in the workout a little bit more because I just rolled and I realized that my legs are trashed. Or you roll through and you're like, man, I feel good. I don't feel a thing when I foam roll. I'm ready. Let's hit this. And all of that, it's not that you're not getting the benefit from foam rolling again, but now you have all this extra information. You're using it as a, as a tool to right. diagnose something rather than just rolling to roll to, to get the myofascial release and do those kinds of things. And that adds a different positive effect on the training. Okay. you can now get something out of it that if you had gone into it when you were really sore and you're like, man, I have to do this because this is what the coach wrote and I got to hit my program. And you're like, I just can't move today. Why can't I move? Well, it's because you never paid attention to the fact that when you were foam rolling, you're stretching out, you're really tight and you're really sore. You, just, you don't have it in your nervous system today to hit that. Yeah. And if you paid attention to it and adjusted the program a little bit, you probably could have gotten something out of it that you're not going to get out of it now because you aren't paying attention. And this is part of as being an athlete, especially like knowing your body yeah. and then telling your coach, yeah. hey, I'm pretty wrecked today. My quads are really sore. Let's, I'm going to spend some extra time warming up, but I just may not have it today. And he may say in, in this stage of training, okay, we'll take the day off or let's do mm -hmm. something different. Or let's, exactly. Because I need you to hit this hard. I can't have you taking your leg day and like, okay, well – We'll hit it a little bit. If it's a little sore, we'll kind of just don't worry about it. We'll take care of it later. He might say, no, change your whole day because exactly. of how you're feeling. But you need to know that and as an athlete and then, you know, know how to tell your coach. And then he can – he'll he'll know the overarching thing of like right. your actual training to how to apply that the best. Exactly. Okay. So, so another so, – go ahead. No, no, no. So the next thing that comes out of that is not only what do you do with that information, but what happens next – so how do you, if you roll and you're just like, holy crap, I'm really sore. All right. That's different than rolling through and hitting one spot that's really sore. Like you hit a trigger point okay. as you're going through. And what do you do with that? And like that next stage of being able to analyze the information and saying, uh, I have one spot that's really tight. I need to work on that spot so that I can have an effective workout versus I'm really sore. I'm still trash from my last one. I need to tell the coach that we can make some adjustments if necessary. Okay. And it gets into the whole idea of like smashing your quads or hitting these trigger points. And like, I'm, I won't get into the topic or the conversation of, you know, rolling a kettlebell up into your hip flexor and stuff like that. Cause like it's, a heavy topic on you know whether people should or shouldn't be doing that and frankly i don't really care but you, you see that a lot though people use, use like lacrosse balls or softballs yeah. or like a big heavy object like cylinders or kettlebells even yeah. and, and try to work out like a trigger point because that if you look at the people who benefit from those things they're using it highly specifically for them like they figured out they need a heavy roller they need a kettlebell in order to have that effect and then that concept gets misapplied to the wrong population for someone who would benefit from something else to help them out. Okay. And they, again, it's, you know, it's that lack of asking the question to get the information on, would this help me? And not knowing how to ask or knowing that you need to ask. So, I mean, hence this conversation here. Yes. But when you take something such as a kettlebell and you try to like just destroy a trigger point, you're actually having the opposite effect. A lot of times because one of the things that happens as far as it's been explained to me is that when you're doing trigger point work, if I like to think about scale from one to 10, 
you know, 10 being the most pressure you could, not the most pain you've ever felt, just the most pressure that you can tolerate. If you get above a five or a six to the point where, and again, it's subjective, but if you get above that point to where someone has like grit their teeth to get through it, you start to actually have an adrenal reaction. Like your body feels so much pain that you're going to start releasing adrenaline. To really? That. Yeah. So if you have that reaction, that's completely counterintuitive to the idea of being able to relax something. It doesn't sound like it's to help you relax. No, yeah. not at all. So if your purpose right there is to put yourself into a state of fight or flight from having that adrenal reaction, then yeah, go ahead. All of a sudden you're going to have some extra adrenaline before you go and lift. Like, yay, fantastic. That doesn't mean you're going to move better yeah. in the process. Or not hurt yourself. Right. So if you're doing self-care, and part of that self-care is doing trigger point work, whether it's a lacrosse ball or a kettlebell or you know a foam roll or anything. If you're using it to the point where you are in so much pain while you're doing it that like you have to grit your teeth or you're yelling out, and you are not a specific body type who needs to have that level of pressure, then you're doing more harm than good. And you're certainly not setting yourself up to go and exercise. Yeah, have a good day in the gym. Because let's say that that in any way is beneficial. We'll just we'll take the argument off the table about whether that works or not. That level of pressure is automatically classified as deep tissue. Okay. And um, deep tissue massage is one of those variations of massage which is confused where people often think that you're just pushing hard. You're not just pushing hard. There's a science. There's an art to it as far as how it's done. Um, the size of the stroke, where you start the stroke, where it goes. Now, I'm not a deep tissue massage therapist. All right? I don't pretend to be a professional at it. I know enough to know that I am not okay. doing that. I do uh, neuromuscular work for the most part. And if anybody comes to me and says they want true deep tissue, there are people that I refer to because I was taught in school by those people and they have practices. And what they taught me was that it's the art of being able to tell how hard you're pushing on the tissue to have a specific inflammatory reaction from that. And you go in a certain size of a stroke. So for example, going from like down below the knee all the way up through the glute. And you're checking that entire muscle chain okay. as you're going through. And what are you looking for when you're checking all that? What are they looking for? Yes. To be honest, I don't know. Okay. Uh, again, that goes into like a level of analysis of the soft tissue while you're doing it that I never experienced. Okay. Um, but in doing that, you have a specific reaction, not just from pushing hard, but from having a certain amount of pressure on that particular body along that particular length that aids the body in recovery. And that's as much as I know about it. Okay. So I, using that information, if you just sit there and destroy something, uh, you're getting a cheap variation of deep tissue massage. And what, (laughs) the one thing I do know is that any massage therapist will tell you, you're not lifting for at least 24 hours after you go and do deep tissue yeah, massage. Yeah, you are wrecked. You can't move. The first time I ever got a massage, it was deep tissue. Yeah. And uh, this little girl, Emily, this <laughs> tiny little thing, I don't know how she hurt me so bad. She just worked on my shoulders and my calves because they were super tight. It was a half an hour session. Yeah. That was it. And she hurt me so bad, I couldn't train for three days. Yeah. I was like, holy shit. And she's this tiny little petite yeah. thing, but she was just digging into me. Oh, my goodness. It was horrible. Now, granted, after a week, I felt great. Yeah. <laughs> but those three days were rough. See, that's the thing. is, If you do the deep tissue massage and you do it correctly, when it finally gets you through the recovery period of it, you're going to feel amazing. But that one to three days, you're not doing anything. 
So if you think that you're going to take a kettlebell and you're going to shove it into your psoas and all of a sudden you're going to have this range of motion, then you're going to go work on Olympic lifting. Like you're out of your mind. Yeah. At best, you're going to move better. You're not going to move any weight or volume. So that's a misconception that goes along with it. Okay. If you want to do trigger point and you do it the right way, this is where I was coming back before, where like you have the synergistic effect. Well, a lot of times when any of the athletes come and talk to me, they're like, All right, what should I do as far as some soft tissue work prior to lifting? As I'll say, all right, you're going to do a variation for neuromuscular. And you're going to roll 10 times. And part of that is going to be the analysis and like checking in with your body. Are you sore? Do you find trigger points? If you find them, take the lacrosse ball or the foam roller or whatever you need to hit that spot. And again, using the quad as a reference, like hitting that trigger point area that you found, staying on it for about 30 seconds, trying to get it to come down without having more pressure than like a five or six. Okay. So, so you're, you're, you're going to start, start off your workout. Maybe you're your session in the gym or whatever it is. And you're going to roll on the foam roller mm -hmm. to try to find a problem. Right. So you're just going to see how you're feeling. Right. Not Nothing crazy. You're not rolling out for half an hour. You're no. not doing anything crazy. And now, I hate to ask the dumb question. Go so if, if, like, if you're rolling your quads out, for mm -hmm. example, is like is like up and down one or is like one stroke across your legs one? I like to say up and down is one. Up and down is one. Yeah. Okay, so you're going to go up and down 10 times to see if you can find a problem. Yep. Then if you do, you're either going to hang out on the foam roller on that spot or maybe grab a lacrosse ball or a softball or something else to kind of get to that trigger point mm -hmm. and hang out for 30 seconds. Yep. You said no more than a five in a one to 10 range. Yep. For pressure, not necessarily pain. Correct. Okay. Now, how many times do you want to do that? Just the 30 seconds? Or? Just 30 seconds. And then afterward, you're going to stretch it. And okay. Now, the stretching can be a dynamic stretch. If you're um, if you're not about to lift and you want to do a static stretch on it, okay. Because you shouldn't really do the static before lifting. Right, you should right. do that after. Right. Like more dynamic before kind of getting things warmed up and moving. Right. The okay. only argument I've heard for static stretching prior is if you have one particular side that's imbalanced from the other. So if you, like, say your left hamstring is a lot tighter than your right, you could do a static stretch initially to on get them the left the side. Same get them level? like a similar Would that be from motion. an injury or just? I would say, yeah, injury. Okay. Um. So you do the stretching afterward, and that's a three-step process. So now you've foam rolled, trigger point, stretch, and you repeat that process. Okay. And How many times do you want to repeat two that? Two to three times. Okay. So something simple, something it's quick. It's really quick. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really not going to, again, it's not going to take you half an hour, 40 minutes. This is going to be a few minutes nope. to see if there's a problem. If there isn't, there's no real point to do trigger point. You can exactly. still do dynamic stretching because yeah. that's always good no matter what. You're probably going to do that anyway. Yeah. So now you're just building a couple things into it prior, but you're doing it in a specific way where it's shorter, but more effective. It's synergistic. And by the time you're done, you have a much better sense of how your body's moving that yeah. day. And plus, you're obviously going to trigger what you're going to hit in that workout. Exactly. So it's it's not going to be everything. You're not going to roll your back no. and roll your legs and roll your hamsters, <laughs> roll your calves. Like, no, you're just going to hit what you're going to yeah. hit that day and see how you're feeling. If you need to do some trigger point, do it. If not, go on to dynamic, on to your day. Yep. Okay. So that's the first thing is like, if I have enough time to work with someone, let's say they come over and they just ask me about it. Like I'll take them through and be like, ta-da, there's your warm up. There you go. Yeah. Now that's not all the warm up, obviously. Yes. And it's just a part of it. It's the first part of it because that's your check-in as you're going through. And when it comes to the foam rolling, when you mentioned before, like, no, you're not foam rolling for 30 minutes or something as you're going through it. Look, if someone wants to take the time to say that foam rolling is their version of a full body massage more power to you that you're going to do that 
on your own where you're going to foam roll for like 30 to 60 minutes. Or let's be more efficient and you can go see a professional therapist who can do what that foam roller can do in 60 minutes, probably within like 10. Yes, because they know what they're looking for. They know where the problems are. Or if they find it, they can address it right away. You want to spend 30 minutes either on a table or on a foam roller? I can do a whole lot more in 30 minutes for what's going on than you can in 30 minutes on a foam roller because that's my job. Yeah. Like like you said, I know what I'm looking for. I know what kind of reaction I'm trying to get out of it. And if I've worked with you a couple of times now, I know where you were and I know where I want you to get. So having that in my mind as I'm going through it and understanding of what I'm looking for you have this huge difference on what you can do for yourself versus what I can do for you in the same amount of time. Okay. So if you want to foam roll for 30 minutes every single day or come see me for 30 minutes once a week, that's, you know, your choice. Technically, yeah, you're saving money by not coming to see me. But and you'll, and you'll probably get about the same or better results yeah. seeing you once instead of doing that every day exactly. anyway. And plus, look at the time you're going to save exactly. in the gym. I mean, most of us, you know, we're not professional athletes. <laughs> Let's you're, be honest. We're going to come into the gym after work or before work yeah. or just part of your day. So you, you don't want to spend an extra half an hour trying to get your special massage that you're going to do to yourself because I'm going to save myself, you know, some 20, 30, whatever it is, dollars, you know, instead of just, okay, I'm going to go see Dane once a week mm-hmm. and get what I need to get done, done, and I'm in and out and we're on the way. If, exactly. there's, if there's a problem, then we can address it and talk about other issues. But yeah. otherwise, it's just, okay, some maintenance and here we go and back back to training. And I think that's the next misconception is like the idea of maintenance where people are very familiar at this point with training and everything that goes into training. The amount of time that you have to spend with training, whether it's with technique or it's getting stronger or doing accessories and you know, doing your homework on what is the next phase as far as how do I get better and who do I need to talk to to get better. If you have a coach like Dan Bell at the gym, like he gives you exactly what needs to happen next and talks to you about what the program is, what's coming up. But there's this whole other side, and Dan has talked about it, where training is half of being an athlete, and then the other half is the ability to recover from what you're doing. And the idea of maintenance, when you're doing that much work to train, your maintenance takes that much work on the opposite side to be able to recover. Yes. And there's not a lot of thought that goes into that. Well, most people don't think of it that right. way. They think, I went to the gym, I did my thing, right. I'm good, we're done. Like, no, that's that's only part of the problem, dude. <laughs> that, that's the active part. Now, there's the whole other like passive part that is involved with it. And by passive, I mean like someone else helping you to do it or something else helping you to do it. Because... Uh, the way I like to think about it often is this idea of a pendulum swinging. So if you think neutral, like right in the very center, you're not moving at all, that is fully recovered. You don't have anything that's you know affecting your body one way or the other. Well, if you start to train, it swings to one direction. And the more you train, you know, the farther or the harder you train, the more it swings in that direction. But if you're not doing anything to help it swing to the opposite, it takes a whole lot longer to come back to center. And if you're not giving it the time to come back to center between the next training, like you never get that chance to be fully recovered. And so you never get the chance to fully optimize the results of that training. Yeah. So one way you can do it is you take a rest period. Like I'm just, I'm going to take an entire week or I'm going to take a week and a half or however many days, you know, I'm going to take all these days off. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I'm so set. wrecked. I can't get yeah, any good quality to. work out of my workouts anymore. Let's say right. if you're squatting, I'm only squatting up to 80% for the day, but I can't lift anymore because I can't move anymore. Okay. Right. I need to, to take a week off. Right. So that rest gives the body an opportunity to do what it's going to do naturally, but a long enough period to get all the way back to ground zero basically. Yep. 
then you know we go we jump right back in we repeat the process like destroy ourselves have to rest destroy ourselves have to rest well what if there is a process that instead of having to take a week off and fully recover allowed you to speed up that process so that you were able to swing the opposite direction just as far and as effectively as the amount of training that took you in the initial swing Okay. And massage is part of that. Now, it's not all of it by of any means whatsoever, but it is a portion of it that helps you to swing back in because if the, I'll say damage that you do to yourself in training, because, you know, just muscular damage that you do to yourself in order to get stronger. If that is an exaggeration of activities of daily life, because, you know, putting several hundred pounds on your back and squatting is not an activity of daily living. All right, squatting is sure, but yes. you know that. So that's an exaggeration. You need an equal and opposite re- exaggeration on the recovery aspect to bring you back to center. And that doesn't mean the same amount of time. So it's like, well, I worked out for two hours, and now I need to, you know, do self care and foam rolling for two hours. Like, no, you need something that's just equally as powerful. Yes. And massage is part of that. Self care is part of that. A proper warm up, proper cool down, is part of that. Nutrition, big part of that. Sleep, sleep. Oh, good God, it's a big part of that. Um. So stress in your life. I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> there's so many things that come in. Yeah, you could. There, there's a lot of times where people come in the gym and they're having a rough day. Yeah. And they're not hitting the numbers they want to hit. And they get frustrated because like, we're on a, we're, I got to meet in a few weeks. And I got to hit these numbers. Like the numbers are relevant. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, how did you sleep last night? How are you eating? How's your stress at work? Like, oh, they're all horrible. Guess what? Yeah. It's going to be a shitty day. All right. right. Get what you can to get done, done and go home and sleep and eat and recover and lower the stress and come back tomorrow. Like, chill out. Like it's going to be okay. What I really love is um, at the gym, Dan has that paper that has the checklist and on every single one of them, which is, you know, nutrition, recovery, like massage or self-care training, yada, yada. You put that scoring. And if, you don't have to have that exact sheet, but if in your mind you're thinking to yourself, on a normal day, not my best day, just on a normal day, this is how I feel, and this is how I move, and now compare that to how you're doing, and if you come in and you're not hitting the right numbers, you're not moving the right way or with the right speed, and you can reflect on just that mental checklist of, oh, shit, I only got like four hours of sleep last night, or you know, I, I missed dinner because I was working at home and I just didn't stop when I was at the computer and I just went right to bed because I was exhausted. So there's a whole meal that I missed yeah. right there. Things like that. That answers a lot of questions on why you feel so bad. But like we were saying before, the ability to know what question to even ask comes from that baseline knowledge of what's the checklist that I need to be reflecting on. And a lot of the pendulum swinging comes from that checklist of you know sleep, nutrition, stress, and the ability to accelerate that process comes from modalities and you know professions like massage or physical therapy or chiropractic. What I like about it, in comparison to what we started talking about in the beginning with like ibuprofen and ice bath and stuff like that, is that massage doesn't do anything that the body doesn't already do itself. Yes, it just does. It helps it to do it faster. Yeah, it makes it more efficient. Right. So, if left for a week your body's going to handle the inflammation that comes from training. It's going to handle the muscle tears and the damage that happened. It's going to help to rebuild and to calm down joints and uh, deal with the general soreness that you get. Now, you get a massage, 
and that accelerates the process. It doesn't shut anything off. It's yeah. not like an anti-inflammatory where it's like, no, we're just going to hit the off switch here and we're going to stop it from ever happening because inflammation is not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's a tool. Like It's a process in the body. And if you just decide, well, I don't want to feel that anymore. I don't want to have that. You're deciding for your body what it's going to take care of. Okay. And instead of just hitting an off switch because you don't want to deal with that, why not think about why that happened? Like, what are you doing or not doing that is causing something to happen? And sometimes that's a really easy thing. Well, it's like, well, I squatted five or 600 pounds. Like, yeah, that's going to cause some swelling. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Like, you're going <laughs> to... That, that's a lot of force on the body. That's a ton of force on the body. And, you know, you see that in the gym, you know, quite a bit. You see guys in, uh, going through that kind of weight. But, you know, that is just an example of the pendulum swinging really far in one direction. Well... If you're going to push yourself to that, and it doesn't have to be that extreme, but if you're going to push yourself to extremes, got to ask the question, what are you doing to bring it back to center? And if all you're doing is a little bit of a cool down stretch at the end, making sure you're hitting your macros and getting a couple hours of sleep, how long do you really expect to be able to hit that level of performance or better question yet, go above? So Using that as my example, that's a lot of the, the conversation that I end up having. Like, what are you doing to bring the pendulum back to center? Okay. Um, other misconceptions that come along with it are that people are going to be able to come in, get a massage, and they're going to come off the table feeling fine. Like, that took care of everything. One session is like, no. <laughs> no. Again, it's, it's just helping your body right. do what it needs to do right. more efficiently. It's still going to take time. It is. It's going to it'll probably take multiple sessions. And I think that is, I mean, that goes along with Recovery 101 is, again, the opposite side of training. Like, you know, same coin, opposite side. That if you're going to take this amount of time to make yourself stronger, you need to take an equal and opposite amount of time to recover from that training. And like, if I could get people to understand one aspect, it's, it is that. Okay. And if that is for them to come in and get massage, great. You know, obviously I'm biased on what I, uh, what I'm going to be able to help with. But like you were saying, with dealing with stress in their life, dealing with, uh, not getting enough sleep or, you know, the whole, uh, rage that's going on now where it's like, I only sleep four to six hours a night and I get all this productive or all this work done. Cause I'm so productive. It's like, yeah, that'll work until it does it for like a month or two. And then you're just, you know, destroyed. And you'll, and you'll be wrecked. Yeah. Especially if you're adding things on top of it that are just depleting your nervous system. Cause most of those people live on caffeine oh, because yeah. they, they can't, if, if they don't have a bunch of uppers, yeah. they, they, they just can't function. Hmm. Not the game. So, Driving home that message, like that is like just recovery 101. And okay. the problem that happens is that people hear like, oh, you got to get more sleep. You got to get more sleep. The point that it becomes cliche and it no longer resonates. The idea that you have to recover becomes something that's very easy to ignore until it's not. Until you're broken and you're like, well, I guess I have to do something. But I haven't asked the question, so I don't know actually how to recover. So I'm going to take some ibuprofen and take a week off. And there's a multitude of factors that are just wrong with that scenario that are going to limit that individual. And if you're not an athlete and that works for you, awesome. You can set your plateau wherever you want by going by that model. But if you're someone who's training and wants to get better, then you can't live by that. Yeah. That doesn't work. And you're not going to find out that it doesn't work until you're broken. Yeah. 
unfortunately. And then you, then you usually have to take a couple of weeks or even a month yeah. off before you can even get back in to start to build back where you were because you lose gains pretty quick. You do. You do. <laughs> All right, so um, what about jumping back into like warming up for a workout? Okay, okay so so we got the foam rolling down, trigger point work if you need it. If you need it. Do some dynamic stretchings, a couple sessions of that. And then like what do you normally tell your athletes to do to kind of get ready for their workout for the day? Most of the athletes I work with are gymnasts and then a little bit of work at Unrivaled Strength with the Olympic lifters and powerlifters. Um, I don't pretend to know the warm-up. Uh, sequence that Dan Bell likes to use, or that you know Justin likes, Justin Oliver likes. Well, to I know, use I know Dan his... specifically doesn't really talk about any kind of warm up stuff, so it's kind of whatever the person likes to do, whatever yeah. works for them. Like, what are some good go bys of what to do, what not to do? I like movement specific. So if you are going to be doing, um, uh, like squatting for the day, that if you have your body assessment. So when I work with the gymnast, if I'm going to be having them do uh, like a body weight workout that we're going through. I want them to start at a low level for what they're going to be training again as an assessment. Okay. So if they're going to be squatting for the day, I have them doing like some body weight squats. Just like, let's see how you're moving. Let's see how things feel. They take an incredible beating when it comes to the ankles and knees and the hips and back. So if they go in just to a body weight squat and, or like a lightweight squat and they're hurting when they're doing that, there's no way I'm going to start. I need to you know adjust that exercise for them now if they go through that they're moving really well things are getting warmed up all right we're going to slowly start to increase the weight to get you to your working sets okay as you're going through so you're essentially going to kind of warm up what you're going to do that exactly, day. exactly. And you're not going to do all this kind of crazy movements and all these kind of special things mm-hmm. no if you're going to squat you're going to squat yeah if you're doing yeah. something like body weight exercise you're going to do some of that and see how you're doing mm-hmm. and if, again if you need some more trigger point work you can do some of that and see if you can keep you know um progressing through your warm-up but if not then we need to modify right uh the only thing that i change in that is from a coaching perspective if i have things that i need to kind of finagle in for the sake of time i'll use those easier things as part of the warm-up so for example uh working with some of the athletes just on like pull-ups where i want them to get some like shoulder mobility and also some shoulder stability work going on. So there's an exercise called a scat pull where you just hang from the bar and you engage the scapula and you're just retracting towards the spine. Uh, I might use that as the initial part of the warm-up. Okay. Not because that in itself is a fantastic warm-up for pull-ups, but it you're is... You're trying to adjust the movement yeah, see if they can do yeah, that I, for the day? Right. I'm, I need them to do that at some point anyway, and it works well as a low-level entry into doing pull-ups. So okay. I'll kind of throw that in there to hit... You know, two birds, one stone. Okay. Little things like that. Okay. Uh, but coming back to what we said, no, I don't like to do a bunch of crazy stuff with the movements just for the sake of a warm-up. Like, if I'm if they're sweating, let's go, I think. Um, and then, obviously, being mindful of if you have an athlete who has a previous injury or you know that their uh, sport makes them prone to certain injuries, then adjusting the warm-up to make sure you're hitting that regardless of what you're doing so like i was saying with the gymnast like there's a lot of ankle injuries so part of the warm-up even if we're not doing something that's heavy there like i'm probably going to give them an ankle warm-up with the bands okay to throw that in there um if i can give them a little bit of prehab exercise for the knees i'm going to do that but that, that's just sport specific that is sport overall specific. longevity yeah. Yeah. keeping things moving it's yeah. not necessarily that workout specific right okay right. that makes sense so so you're gonna go through your normal warm-up you're gonna come in you're gonna as long as you get a sweat going you can jump right in essentially right 
if I've seen them moving with what they're about to train and they're sweating, we're good. Okay. So um, what's what's the longest you would think to do for a warm up, like time wise, like without major problems or major okay. tr- major trigger points they need to work on, but just a normal day. You come in, oh, you're a little sore, you hit some stuff, but what's like a normal time frame that should take? Ten minutes. Okay. I mean, you might have, uh, you might have a little bit less. Depending, like if someone comes in and they're feeling really good, and like you said, they do the uh, foam rolling, they don't find any trigger points, they don't need to hit any of that, and you go right into dynamic stretching. And that leads right into the movement that you're going to be doing for that day. Yeah, you might you're be a little under moving, 10. You're feeling good. Yeah. There's no trigger point needed there. And you just jump right into training. You might be like five, seven minutes. Okay. Boom. Go. That's a quick day. Yeah. On that doesn't a- normally happen because right. people are still a little sore and beat right. up. It's just, it's just how it works. On average, maybe like 10 minutes. And on a long one, you know, up to like 15. But those are the individuals that are coming in. You're like, all right, I want you to go ride the bike or, you know, walk on the treadmill for a couple of minutes. Let's get you moving quite a bit more first, and then let's come over and hit the foam rolling. Okay. Um, is that something people should do on a normal basis, or is that depending on the athlete themselves? Going on to, like, the bike or the Yeah, trim- like, even, like, doing, uh, doing some cardio before they even get into the, their dynamic stretching or foam rolling or anything. I think those are great. Uh, I just... There are certain populations, like if you work in an office and you're sitting down all day, yes, you should come in and you should hop on a bike or you should walk a little bit because more than likely you haven't been moving all day. Okay. So foam rolling, uh, you're kind of jumping the gun on that part. Like you, you should move a little bit first, get your body opened up before you try to assess. And then we're, now we're talking like uh, like a long, slow distance pace. Are we talking sprint intervals or what are we, what are we talking long, about? Long, slow distance. Okay. Yeah. So, so like if you're going to hop on the treadmill, maybe a little bit of an incline and just walk. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe hop on the bike, move enough where you can still talk. Oh right? yeah, yeah. Okay, for how long do you think? Uh, we talking like three to five minutes. Okay, so There's nothing no, super crazy. No. Just kind of get moving. Yeah. Especially with people like like me who sit in an office all day. You know, that's something I don't really do. I don't come into the gym and hop on the bike or hop on the treadmill and get moving. So that's something I need to add into my warm up. And when you look at that, like the three to five minutes, that goes back to the like the fifteen minutes total. That's not like hey, a long warm up's gonna be fifteen. Let's add another three to five. Now we're up to twenty and adding all these things in like if you're a person who's spending 30 minutes on a warm up and that's not highly specific to you and your sport then there's some time that you can be cut out as you're going in there like, okay. obviously make some exceptions for the person for the sport like if you have previous injuries then I mean yeah. some, sometimes you have to and you have to it, that is what it is it but is. for the average person yeah. with a couple of trigger point things here and there mm-hmm. no real major debilitating in- injuries you know 10, 15 minutes, you're yeah. good to go. Yeah. Even with the walking, the foam rolling, yeah. the trigger point, the dynamic, the, the warming up your movements. Okay, that's great. Um, okay, so you're going to come in, you're going to get moving on the bike or treadmill or something, do all your stretching, get into that. You're going to do your regular workout for the day. Coach is going to program that or whoever you're working with doesn't matter. Like for me, it's, it's my coach. Um, so after that, what, what's a good thing they can do to kind of warm themselves down so they don't just quit? Okay, I got to run, I got to go and – what do they need to do is kind of a minimum at least to, to kind of take care of themselves so they don't get as beat up. So hopefully the next day is a little bit easier in the gym. I go one or two ways. One of them is going back to the way that they started to warm up. So hop back on the treadmill, hop back on the bike, move a little bit. To warm down. To warm down. Okay. Very, very, very light because uh, by comparison, the amount of effort that it takes into doing that while still getting blood flow and lymphatic drainage and everything that goes along with it, it's very low effort compared to what they were probably doing for the workout. Most likely, Most yes. likely, most likely. Um, or you're going into a version of what you were doing for the workout, but at a very low intensity. So if you were um, doing squats for the day, 
maybe at the end of it, very lightweight, very slow movement, not maybe not even lightweight, maybe just body weight, you know, doing body weight squats that take you through the range of motion unloaded at a low volume and just give yourself an opportunity to bring it back to baseline. Okay. Um, so that you are, uh, using the muscles at a low intensity that gives you a nice full range of motion aids in the drain. There's debate on the whole lactic acid concept about, you know, whether that returns to normal after an hour, whether it stays in the system and causes soreness. Yeah, so, I mean, right, there's going to be that. arguments forever yeah. for that kind of stuff because who knows? They can do all kinds of different studies. We'll still probably never really know. Right. So whatever that is being caused by, it just simply helps to flush as you're going through. Okay. One way or another, you're getting a flushing effect by doing the light, slow movement that mimics what you were working on okay. as you're going through. Okay, so you're going to start to move. Is there any kind of stretching now or dynamic stuff or trigger points they need to work on? Or is that all, to, again, depend on what they found throughout their workout before? I like to say it's more dependent on what they found throughout the workout and for them as an individual. So if you have someone who is going through the workout and at the end of it, like their ankles are really hurting them due to like lack of mobility, then, yeah, you're going to take some time and you're going to aid in the recovery of that, whether it's um, doing some banded circles or whatever exercise you find that you need to do for that, or for the knee, or et cetera. Um, but the stretching, this is one I'm, I'm torn on, because I've read where doing any kind of static stretching uh, post-workout increases the amount of acute muscle damage that happens, and therefore takes longer to recover from. I've also read that it helps it to return to its normal length after high contraction. So, uh, personally... I stretch afterward. Okay. I feel better when I take a minute or two to stretch the areas that I worked on. If for no other reason, if it mimics the slow, easy body weight version of what I was saying before. Okay. You know, maybe me going through an easy shoulder stretch is enough of a similarity to the exercise I was doing. I'm putting you through your range of motion. That it helps with the flushing. Yeah. Okay. So regardless of why it works for me personally that's what i do and that's what works and so it becomes a suggestion that i give to people but a lot of the cooldown suggestions that i give as long as they're doing something i tell them here are some options try one see how you feel if that didn't work let's move on to plan b if that didn't work let's move on to plan c and figuring out with those different choices you know which one seems to work best for you okay and again, is this like a 10 to 15 minute rule or is it all just depend on how beat, how beat up you are from training? Well, how beat, how beat up you are from training, I guess would play a part into it, but not even 10 to 15 minutes, like five to 10 minutes. Oh, really? So yeah. it's, it's shorter even than the warm up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are there any other big things you think that are like uh, misconceptions that a lot of people think um, are really going to help them or actually hurting them in the long run? Now, the trigger point with the deep tissue one, that's that's a personal one, a personal pet peeve of mine, kind of watching that happen and trying to clear up that misconception. Um, oh, so here's one. This has nothing to do with soft tissue work whatsoever. Okay. But caffeine consumption passed about 4 o'clock in order to help out with the workout. Okay. So recovery is almost exclusively based on the nervous system. And getting the nervous system to be able to recover from the stress that's placed on it okay, from the workout. And included within that, like we were saying before, the stress of just everyday life. All right. So if you 
stress the nervous system in a way that it has difficulty recovering at the right time, then you don't benefit from the certain things that even if you're trying to do them should be helping you, for example, sleep. So caffeine has a half-life of about eight hours and can affect nervous system reaction up to 12 hours. Okay. So if you have caffeine at, say, three or four o'clock in the afternoon or later, that is going to increase the speed of the nervous system for a set period of time. Okay. And that might help out your workout. You're like, I just took a pre-workout. I feel great. I lifted numbers. Woohoo. Well, you don't sleep very well that night. No, probably not. Even if you think that it wears off and you're like, well, I fell asleep. You did, but the depth of that sleep and the quality of that sleep has been diminished. Now, what's what's a normal serving for caffeine that people would be taking that you'd want to stay away from after, you know, like you said, about four o'clock in the afternoon? Uh, standard cup of coffee is like 100 to 110 milligrams. Um, most people don't do standard cups of coffee. Though. Most people at, know do like doubles and triples. Right. So you're looking at like 200 milligrams up to like 300. And then some pre-workouts are exceptionally high. Really? Yeah. Um, but, you know, those are few and far between. The normal dosage, I would say, for caffeine in a, a pre-workout without being an expert on it is like two to 300 milligrams. Okay. So you're talking two or three cups of coffee in a scoop. Okay. And do not take that past three or four o'clock in the afternoon, period. Right. But it's difficult. Because, and, you know, that's assuming that someone's going to bed at around like 11 o'clock, you know, give or take an hour or so. Okay. Because your eight-hour half-life, if you're taking it past three o'clock and you want to go to bed around 11 or, you know, even earlier... That's going to diminish the quality of that sleep. So now the time period where you're going to get the biggest recovery benefits as far as you know, the amount of nervous system recovery that goes on during sleep, the amount of uh, lymphatic drainage that goes on, the hormone replacement, and just everything that happens during those hopefully seven to eight hours or more or less, it gets diminished because the quality, the body doesn't have an opportunity to go through those cycles. Okay, so even though you feel like you fell asleep, oh, it was fine, I fell asleep, yeah. it was no problem, you're not getting good quality exactly. sleep. Exactly. So okay. the effect of the training from the day before previously is actually diminished. It's, it's compounded because right. you don't have a chance to recover. Time after time after time. Okay. And doing that to yourself over time, now you have this amount of frustration. You're talking about the people who come in and they're like, oh, I have a meet that's coming up in three weeks. I'm not getting ready for it. I'm not hitting my numbers. Well, that's because the science of the program works where you're supposed to be going at a set rate based on what the physiology should be. And now you've just fucked with physiology because you've diminished what should be going on at night because you wanted to take caffeine at four or five o'clock in the afternoon because you just started your workout. And you're yeah. like, well, I feel tired. I just came from work. I've been sitting all day. I don't have any energy. I was stressed out there. I just need a little bit of caffeine to help get me through. Well, yeah, that's going to work one time, but then it's but going to fall apart. you can't do it apart. normally. Right. It just falls apart time okay. after time. Was there something else that people could do maybe instead of taking caffeine to kind of get themselves awake and ready for their workout? It's like me personally, I don't take pre-workouts. I save that for meats. And when I'm mm -hmm. going into meats, I try to limit my caffeine consumption at work or during the day normally because normally I have a little bit in the morning to kind of get going. But I try to limit that for like a week or two leading into a meet. So mm -hmm. that way when I have, you know, a, a grande iced coffee from Starbucks, you know, like it hits me hard. Right. And, uh, I, and I feel it and I'm awake yeah. and I'm there and I, I can really feel it working. Um, there are uh, a handful of supplements that are meant to be helpful for uh, catalyzing energy. Is that? Uh, so, I mean, you're talking like vitamins, everything like that. It's. It's a hard question because are there things that do it? Yes. Are there things that feel as good as the stimulation of a pre-workout or coffee prior to lifting? In my experience, not really. Okay. 
So, like, so you can do some things, but you're, yeah. you're not going to feel the way you feel on caffeine, which, exactly. is, which is why people go to it. Right. That makes perfect sense. And yeah. if you want to do it, it's less a matter of not doing it than it is changing the timing. Okay. So, for example, if you're coming in to lift at 4 o'clock and you tell yourself, all right, I need to have a certain amount of caffeine by 2 so that I am going to have the benefits of caffeine as I go into that 4 or 5 o'clock workout. But it'll be wore off by the time I go to bed. It'll be wore off by the time I go to bed. So you can get good quality sleep yeah, and recover. It's a shifting of the timing as opposed to a change of the habit. That's that's great. Yeah. Uh, what about salt? I've I, A friend of mine sent me a video link recently. I watched it. A gentleman was talking. He's a bodybuilder, mm-hmm. trained a bunch of people, and he talked about how salt is so important for performance. So oh, most, most people cut it out, and they have poor training, low blood pressure, lots of problems. And as soon as they start adding salt back in, they see a huge increase you know, in, their, in their performance in the gym. So I don't know if this starts crossing over into any amount of like dietetics or nutritional information, which I'm not an expert in. Luckily, whatsoever. I know a guy, so we can, <laughs> we can have him on and we can have this discussion. Okay. Um, the only area that I have any experience with is using salt in the morning for adrenal health. And okay. what I have found as far as my own nervous system reaction is that if I do a pinch of Himalayan salt in the morning, before anything, I do that and then I start drinking water, any caffeine that I do have, I do not have the same uh, jitters okay. crash or like start getting shaky from it. Um, I am definitely a stimulant person. I love caffeine. I'm a big fan, but it's very easy for me to hit that threshold and go just above it. And then you start having yeah. that, you know, the you, shaky you reaction. Get a caffeine bus, yeah, you it, do. It's, it's a drug. You get hot. Oh yeah. And, um, doing the, the salt first thing helps for whatever reason, whether I, I mean, it's placebo or it's actually helping the adrenal Do you blood. put it into a drink or I something? I don't. Or? Just, I shake some in my hand and toss it in. Okay. And just drink it down with water. Okay. Just kind of let it dissolve in your mouth yep. and just, okay. Yep. Makes sense. So from my experience, that's the the only experience I have with it. Now, benefit in that way, uh, I do feel better in the morning when I do that. Uh, again, like I said, I don't have the shakiness that comes with it. But I have always been a person who uses a lot of salt throughout the day anyway. And don't know of any negative effects that have come along with that. Okay. Fair enough. Is there any other big topics that you think that we need to kind of cover on this uh, Recovery 101 episode? Because we've covered quite a bit of stuff, and it's good quality stuff. We didn't really dig in super detailed a lot no. of the stuff, but that wasn't the idea of this. This was a big overall kind of coverage, and we could kind of cover more of the specifics in a later episode. If anything, I would say the only other part when it comes to Recovery 101 is figuring out for the person who is training, when are they going to see the outside professional? And the, uh, not programming, but scheduling of that is very important. Okay. Because like you said, um, most of us are not professional athletes. We're coming from a full-time job. We have commitments that are outside of the gym. We have things that we need to do on the weekend just for ourselves. So... The planning and scheduling of when you're going to take care of yourself is very important. And there's a lot more to it than just saying, well, I go in on Saturdays and I have my massage or I get adjusted. Well, what do you do on Sunday? Do you have a squat day on Sunday? What did you do Friday? Was that like a a heavy bench day for you? Was it um, uh, a light volume day for technique work? The scheduling becomes just as important 
so that you know how you're going to recover for that and how it's going to help you recover for the next thing that than it is to say, what days per week am I going to be lifting? Okay. Um, and it's an integral part of the programming. And sometimes that doesn't happen with the coach. It's something that is, you know, the responsibility of the athlete, especially. Well, unfortunately, a lot of times life gets in the way. Exactly. And I can't make it to the gym tonight, so I'll just do that tomorrow, and I'll do heavy deadlifts, and then come in the next day and try to do some squats. I'm like, no, you're going to be wrecked. Right. You're going to push right. everything back. Right. And that, that's just kind of how that works. So having it as something that is pre-scheduled, even if, you know, life gets in the way, that's okay. But if you, in your mind, you know, this is the day that I get things taken care of because I know that the program says that I have a lighter day the day before, or I have a heavy day coming up and I need to be ready for that. Having that set starts to build the habit and lets the athlete know that this is part of training. This is something I need to make time for. This is something I need to figure out how it works the best for me and for my schedule in life. And I think that a lot of times that's pushed off until something bad happens where it's like, well, it's been bugging me for six months. You know, can I get in now? Well, you can. But what happened if when you started the new program, we said to you, what's your recovery day? And what are you doing on that day? And when are you planning that? So this issue that bugged you for six months, instead of waiting six months to be taken care of, it had been getting taken care of for six months. Yeah. And even if it's not every week, even if it's just once a month, if you know what day that is and you can maximize the benefit of that day, that has huge impacts on training and what you're able to get out of it and also what you're able to avoid because of it. Okay. I'd say this is this is good stuff. So I, I really appreciate you coming back Absolutely. on since I got bullshitting with you a little bit too much on the, <laughs> the previous episode. So our listeners really appreciate having this kind of a shorter, condensed kind of version. So I appreciate it. So, My pleasure. So long story short is take, you know, 10 to 15 minutes at the most to warm up, get moving, you know, find trigger points, address them if you need to. Otherwise, get right into your movements and warm up slow and get right into your movements. You know, cool down by moving, stretching a little bit if you need to, addressing some more trigger points, and then just go on with your day. No big deal. All right. So where can people go uh, to find out more about you, Dana, what you do? Uh, I'm on Facebook at Elite Recovery Sports Massage, and then also uh, Instagram at Elite underscore Recovery underscore LMT. Excellent. And uh, if you guys... uh need any kind of sports massage go see dane he's in the northeast ohio area just get a hold of him on either facebook or instagram and he'll take good care of you he probably won't be on there you know putting on all kinds of crazy puffy pictures probably not crazy <laughs> memes that everybody sees use on facebook anymore that's all it seems to really be but nonetheless i get a hold of him he can take good care of you and uh, we'll check you guys out next time in the next episode thanks dane absolutely thank you Okay, so I guess I'm really not good at keeping this conversation thing short, but I, I guess that's why I started a long-form podcast. I know that I learned some good tips from Dane that I will start to implement in my workouts right away, and I hope that you all learned some good tips for your own workouts as well. And I'm definitely sure that we'll have Dane on in the future to talk more about sports massage and recovery, as I really enjoy talking to him. Please subscribe to Uncensored Humanity on iTunes and Stitcher, and if you'd be so kind as to leave the show a five-star review, those good reviews will help the show get found by new listeners. So stay tuned for some new episodes coming out in the very near future, and we'll see you all next time on Uncensored Humanity.